when I speak with other people, they always blow it up a lot and say, oh, you were so brave that you started your company. And I'm like, brave? I was 18 years old. I was hung over in my dorm room. I called my boyfriend and just sort of started a project. There's nothing more to it. You know, it wasn't this like, ooh, we're going to Silicon Valley and we're going to like pitch for millions of dollars and whatever else. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. My memoir, Relentless, is releasing in March of 2022. Go to officialnatashamiller.com to put your name on the wait list and I'll let you know when it's available. The bonuses for buying the book are pretty enticing. I hope you love them all. Also, let me know if you'd like to be on my advanced reader team. I'll send you all of the details. Sophie Trellis Veda calls herself a third culture kid. She was born in Denmark, went to school in Zurich, studied in England, and now works in Munich. After founding Invisibobble in 2012, the idea of the spiral hair tie became a true success story. In 2016, Sophie was honored by Forbes magazine, 30 Under 30. Now let's get right into it. So I was 18 years old. I had just arrived at university and yeah, I think I found myself with a lot less to do on my daily basis than what I originally expected. Reason being that at university, you're a lot more free to, let's say, work on your courses as you so wish. And then it all came together. One evening, I was invited to attend a bad taste party on campus. That literally means that you dress up in a bad taste attire. And I put on my clothes. I put on my makeup. It was really like crazy makeup as if like a six-year-old goes in her mom's (laughs) makeup kit for the first time and tries it on. And then I thought, hey, it's a shame I haven't done anything with my hair. I lived in university dorm rooms from like 1970 or something like this. And there was an emergency telephone box on each floor. On my floor, for whatever reason, it was in my room. But I could definitely tell that it was a telephone box that had not been used probably since the day they mounted it. So I thought, okay, why don't I just unplug the cable, put it in my hair. So I went out to the party really with like a pineapple on top of my head. Really, really enjoyed the night, made a lot of new friends. And then I came back, woke up the next morning and I had managed to not quite take off the telephone cord. So the first thing I did was sit up and think, oh, I forgot to take it out. I take it out and I realize, ah, despite the fact that it's been in all night, it's literally huge compared to a regular hair tie, which is like a tiny, tiny thing. It hadn't given me a headache or any kind of tension around the back of my head, which I usually have. And then as I was taking it out, I was realizing that it had left a lot less of a dent or a kink than normal hair ties would. So I did the first thing that one does when they're 18 years old, hungover, and don't know who else to call. So I called my boyfriend and I called Felix at the time. And I was like, look, I have this idea for a hair tie that we can make for friends and family. And I think very quickly he said that he was on board. But if we do this, then we do it properly and we create a product that women can enjoy around the world. So yeah, that was now almost 10 years ago to the day. Yeah. And now we're here. Wow. So wonderful invention. I remember my daughter, who's 26 now, she was studying in Germany 
in college. So that would have been more or less you know, at the same time. I six, think. Yeah, six times. So, and she came back with these. I don't know if it was an invisible or a replica, but she was explaining to me, mom, yeah, these don't leave kinks in your hair. And I just texted her last night and said, oh my gosh, was that invisible? But she hasn't responded, but great. Right. Because that if she's 26, so then she graduated probably one or two years later than me, then it's definitely an invisible because then it was too soon for replicas to be on the market yet. So she was then one of our first users. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so cool. So tell me about the collaborations that you guys are working on right now. We did a collaboration earlier this year with a jewelry designer. I'm actually, I happen to be wearing her hair halo. We thought it was really, really nice to do a collaboration like this to, let's say, bind the world of jewelry and hair accessories because it had never really been done before. And hair accessories are very often seen as a utility item, especially hair ties. And she has this whole like rainbow world. And so we thought, why don't we bring that into hair accessories so that they almost become a piece of jewelry in themselves? And of course, what makes our items special is that they're still from the core made so that they don't damage your hair. They're inherently hair caring and of course, very comfortable to wear. So that was a collaboration we did. Then we've just launched with MyProtein. So MyProtein, I'm aware, is not such a famous company in the U.S., but they are the biggest supplier of protein powders across Europe. So anyone who's like drinking a protein shake at the gym is most likely to be drinking one from my protein. And we just collaborated with them for the launch of their clothing line. So you can now match your Invisibubble scrunchies. So our variation of scrunchies and our hair ties with their my protein clothing line. And then, of course, we have a couple of collaborations, also USA specific, that are launching anywhere from early through to the end of next year, which I'm not allowed to share yet, but really, really excited. We're actually, I mean, we're working on this collaboration through the Christmas holidays into the new year to really ensure that it has a smooth start. But yeah, really exciting stuff to come. So on this secret new launch that you're doing, where will we be able to find it, especially in the US? But all over. Will it be online only? Will it be stores? You don't have to say which one. So it will definitely be online and in stores. And I can also definitely tell you that it will be amongst the larger retailers that sit nationwide. So for us, a really, really cool execution. And we're looking forward to seeing it physically in stores. Would you describe Invisibobble as a luxury brand or middle of the road, or is it really accessible? Definitely not luxury. I think for us, it's a fully accessible brand. I think what we had in our ethos from the beginning is that our products are actually meant for anyone. It doesn't matter whether you're old, young, what hair type you have, where you live. Everyone should have access to an Invisibobble product. I think what you see as well in not only how we've chosen to package our item, but how we've chosen to price them in the market. So we're very known for putting less physical items in a pack and therefore bringing the overall price point down. Our thought behind that was that no one needs a pack of 50 hair ties. You just don't. (laughs) So we offer them in pack sizes as, as small as three hair ties in a pack. So that's really for entry level so that you can test out the product first before you want to say that you want to before invest. you start losing them or yeah. stealing them. You know, that's actually a funny thing that you touch on because a lot of people say that they have always lost like all of their hair ties, all of their bobby pins. You wear it the one time and then it like goes into like the fourth dimension of the hair ties. But people hang on to their invisible bubbles. It's just something I guess it's because per unit, you invest a little bit more into the product. 
and they're physically larger, let's say, I mean, they sit on your wrist quite predominantly and people like them. People like to combine them with their outfit and with different things. So people hang on to them. And I've met people who are like old friends that I gave an invisible to three years ago. And then they show me like a, in the meantime, pretty dirty one. They're like, I still have it. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to gift you another one or please go and get a new one. They can also clean them, but that's, I don't put it in your washing machine. When you do your next load, they will come out cleaner. So I saw that you have a book, 100 million hair ties and a vodka tonic, an entrepreneur story. Tell me about how that came to be why you wrote the book, how it's going, what is it about? I haven't Uh, read it yet. Yeah. So we launched it actually in 2020. And in the meantime, it's available in five different languages, which I'm personally very proud of, especially because it's also available in my two home or my two mother tongue languages of Spanish (laughs) and Danish. How did the book come about? I think for me, I started my business when I was incredibly young. I was 18 years old and I happen to be operating in what a lot of people perceive as a really, really basic industry because I make hair ties. So simple that people sometimes have referred me to as like the hair ties girl or something like that. And oftentimes also, it's not that they disregard what comes with it, but don't understand necessarily that there's much more to it. And I have really, I've traveled the world, especially across Asia. I've been a lot in the US as well. I've met so many different people and had a lot of experiences. And I would always come back home to Germany and tell my stories to friends, family, whoever it was. And they loved the stories. And they're like, I can't believe that you making hair ties at the end of the day, travel the world. And these are the stories that come out. And so I started having a little journal in my laptop or whenever I had a few minutes, especially when I was at airports, I would write a little bit of what had happened. And I thought I should just shove this together into a book. And what I really wanted with a book was other than for me not to forget my own stories and to have a reference point for later on, I wanted to use that as an inspiration for younger people who want to start their own companies. Within that, I think what's really important to say is a lot of people have a tendency to use the word of entrepreneurship as if it was like this really fancy written word and like gold letters with fireworks in the background and being an entrepreneur, like a 10 out of 10, the coolest, like most flamboyant thing you can do. The reality is that you, if I'm allowed to use dirty words, you eat a lot of shit. Like from day to day, it's just bad things happen that you have to clean up. It's chaotic. It's stressful. And of course, like the highs are incredibly high, but also the lows are really low. And I wanted to depict a very real experience of what it is to be an entrepreneur. And I don't want it to be something that puts people off of it because for me, it's the best thing that I could have ever done. And I will never regret anything that I've done in the last 10 years of my life. But yeah, so to offer people that insight that a lot of other entrepreneurs are not really willing to share and to hopefully say, look, me as an 18 year old who had no prior working experience, didn't know what I was doing, started it with my boyfriend, which can also be kind of an iffy thing to do. And somehow I, know, I don't even want to ask about the boyfriend. <laughs> I hesitate. When you're 18, Um, boyfriends don't typically become lasting, but who knows? No, and he didn't, but he's still my business partner and we get along really well, you know? That's great. Well, talking about entrepreneurship and your being referred to as like the hair tie girl, when you create things and you create a business as big as you have, you have to learn about sourcing materials, right? Pricing, making sure that the factories are run well, manufacturing shipping and logistics, 
not to mention the regular things of hiring and firing and developing a team. And it's a lot. It is. Yeah. So yeah, you may be a hair tie girl, but you can take whatever you learned to create this business and do anything with it, which I think people need to know the skills are invaluable. So I wanted to ask you about your dad and if he influenced and supported your entrepreneurial endeavors. And I ask personally, because as you heard, I have a daughter and she would rather hear nothing out of my mouth in regards to her and any entrepreneurial endeavor. She's just like, shut it. How about you? (laughs) Yeah. So I think my dad definitely played a role. My father has been an on and off entrepreneur for a large portion of his life. And in full transparency, I've seen when it goes well. And I've also seen when it goes really, really bad. I think the nice thing for me to experience was that he always worked from home. So he didn't have an office to go to. He did everything, everything remote, which is that's what he did many years ago, which is now all like super fashionable and in. Uh, (laughs) But I think what I got with that is just full transparency as to what my dad does day in, day out, whereas most other children just see their parents go off to work and then they come home after a long day. I participated in phone calls. For him, it was no problem. He would be sitting at his desk and I would come in and like throw a ball around and he, you know, he, I would throw it to him and he would throw it back, just things like this. And I think the biggest thing that he gave me was to remove the stigma and the fear of becoming an entrepreneur. I think when I speak with other people, they always blow it up a lot and say, oh, you were so brave that you started your company. And I'm like, brave. I was 18 years old. I was hung over in my dorm room. I called my boyfriend and sort of started a project. There's nothing more to it. You know, it wasn't this like, Ooh, we're going to Silicon Valley and we're going to like pitch for millions of dollars and whatever else. Not at all. And I think entrepreneurship can mean so many different things. Of course it can mean that like the fancy side of getting funding for millions and millions, but it can also be like, I'm literally in my dorm room and I'm making something from scratch with well, what was for us $4,000. Our initial yeah, amazing. I wonder if being able to be there, a fly on the wall with your dad's endeavors that you absorb so many business lessons that you can't quite put your thumb on. And I know for my daughter, I was trying to teach her by showing her my PL a couple of years ago. And she started like ripping it apart. I'm like, how do you know that? I'm trying to teach you. She's like, mom, your cogs, what's going on here? And I'm like, <laughs> So bugs are out of whack. You got to get them done. I know. I was like, geez, Louise. Okay. So tell me about New Flag. How do you balance both this position in Invisibubble and what is New Flag? So yeah, as I said, I started Invisibubble 10 years ago. So December, 2011. So 10 years. Yeah. As I said, almost to the day at the time when I started it with Felix, Felix's older brother, Johnny had co-founded New Flag with his partner almost a year earlier. And they had a quite different business model. They were a distribution company, which meant that they brought in brands from other places and sold them in local markets. At the time where we came to them, they only had one brand, which was called Tangle Teaser. It's not so large in the US, but in Europe, it was the first detangling hairbrush. Yeah. And it was really a super revolutionary brand and it hit the UK market by storm. And then Danny and Nikki brought it to Germany and it started going really well and yeah so we came really just a few months later with the idea of of a new version of a hair tie we were like okay we're doing a new version of a hair tie they're selling a brand around a whole new variation of a hairbrush 
maybe we can find some synergies here, whether we sell it together, market it together, and either way, we should somehow work together. So legally, they were two entities for many years, but we've been working as if we were one almost from the beginning, to be honest. And I think Dani and Nikki, they also supported Felix and I very much into getting Invisibubble into the German market. We were then very, very focused on not only developing the product and the brand, but also bringing it to the international market. And then eventually we merged in the Invisibubble entity into the new flag group in early 2020. So we're now one large entity, one house of brands. And I think what's really cool as well is because of the new flag side, we have a lot of distribution brands, but because of the Invisibubble side of developing everything from scratch, we now have a portfolio of seven owned brands that we bring to the global markets. So how many employees does the business have today? So the new flag group now has almost 350 employees. I think we were going to close off the year with 349, but it always varies a bit with the interns and so on. So, but that includes everyone. So our offices in Munich, we have subsidiaries in seven countries around the world, and we have our warehouse that sits on the outskirts of Munich as well. How does that sit with you in the form of responsibility and potential stress to have such a big workforce at this point of your life? I'm not going to lie. It's heavy on the shoulders. <laughs> Especially, I mean, when you think about the fact that there's 350 souls who lie under your responsibility. And if you were to make a big enough mistake that you need to start laying off people, that is the lives of 350 people and, you know, and their respective families and so on. That being said, I think it's really amazing to see how we grow year on year, how we acquire more and more people. I mean, we're at a point now where I don't know everyone's name. Like people come so quickly. At the same time, I head our HR department. So with that, like the growth and development of people, how do we recruit? How do we make sure we're recruiting people from all over the world, not just from Munich? How do we retain our top talents and all of this? And it's so interesting to see all of the things you can do, like building a company culture and spreading it across so many different people, also in different countries, people with different nationalities, all of this. So the more people there are on board, the funner it gets, if I can put it like that, because there's just more to play with. So, right, but building a culture for a small, inclusive, a small business is very challenging. And then amplifying that out to all over the world, different lifestyles, different, just, I can't imagine. I don't know how I would be. I would have to hire an incredibly amazing team to help facilitate that because culture and the employment experience is really important to me. Yeah. And I think as well, I mean, you speak to an important point, which is the size of the company and how you instill culture in that. I mean, at the beginning, we were a team of what, 15 people and we all sat in the same room. There's no need to explain what your culture is because people live it day in, day out. We all sit in the same room. We know each other. We know what we're like. And also the management sits in the same room as the intern. Now it's very different because people not only sit, we sit in a big (laughs) office in Munich, but people also sit like in different countries and even in different time zones. We have an office in the US as well. And it gets harder and harder. And that's why you need to deeper and more creatively about how do you better define that culture, given that you want to instill that into someone who doesn't know me personally or any of my three other partners and make sure that we're all pulling on, what, how do you call this thing? Like you pull on the same thread or, you know, that everyone sort of has the same mindset, but within that mindset has the freedom to be creative and come up with their own ideas. It's one of the hardest projects I had to take on. And that's coming from a brand background where I'm so product focused and brand oriented and so on. The whole people topic is 
much bigger, I think. And I also think it has an ability to make a significantly larger impact than anything else in the company. Because if you can empower your workforce to do what they're supposed to do and be the best version of themselves, then actually that's worth a lot more than a strong brand, to be honest. I agree with that. It's hard to wrap your head around it. I think from the outside, if you're not an entrepreneur, it also is hard to wrap my head around earlier in my entrepreneurial endeavor. Like I didn't quite get it yet until I got conked on the head by my own decisions and my own actions. And I finally woke up and said, that's not how you do it. (laughs) So what is your growth strategy for the company for this coming year? I hear collaborations, which is incredible, Mm -hmm. strategic partnerships. Is there one big thing that you're really going to focus on? I think one big thing is difficult to answer. We always have a number of different running projects. I think one of the bigger things we're focusing on is uh, stronger relationships with all of our partners. So our brand is not so online driven. It's much more of a brand that lives in stores. I think part of the reason is because the products are just so great. And when you you can feel and touch them in person, that's a completely different connection you can get to the brand rather than looking at some kind of rendering online. So how can we further develop the partners that we have so that we can better present our products in stores and really bring that invisible world across? I would say that is one big thing. And then across the board, we believe very much in innovations. We're a completely innovation-driven brand since the beginning. So we have never bought off the rack. I believe until this day that we are the only hair accessories brand who does not buy off the rack. Just for clarification, buying off the rack means that someone shows you a catalog and you pick and choose. We develop all of our products in-house. We have industrial designers. We have graphic designers. We develop our own packaging from scratch as well, because packaging is a really important vessel to telling the bigger story. And for the new year, we have some really amazing innovations that we will be bringing into the market as well. And hopefully they have the big bang effect that we're hoping for. I can't wait to follow that and to hear about the secret collaboration. So the last question I have, I asked most of the people I interview is, and the question would be different if I were asking you when you were 18, probably than right now, but are you building this company for an exit plan? Never, ever. And I think a lot of people ask me this, and I think it's a fair enough question to ask because so many people answer yes. In fact, so many people answer yes, that the question isn't even, do you, are you building this to exit? It's when is your exit? Yeah, And no. I'm sitting there and I'm like, don't assume that people have an exit plan. Right. right I now. ask you this because Sophie, I only really learned because I had my core business. If you had asked me five years ago, so for the first 15, what's your exit plan? I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no way. But I've recently, and I mean recently by the last five years, have learned about really positioning my company so that I could exit in the event I had to because I get sick or because I have a different endeavor. You just never know. And I wasn't building my company to exit in any way, but it's interesting to hear everyone's take on that question. I think this is the way that you formulated the question now. You're the first one to ever ask me that. And that's a very different take on the same question. And I think it's very fair of you to say it. It's in our responsibility, especially now in regards to what we were talking about before with the 350 people that we have on board now. We are working endlessly to develop 
a proper management team and to build a director level under that. I know in the US the levels are called something else, but we have like our C-level management and one level below that we have our directors. We're putting a lot, a lot of effort into developing a sound force there because as you say, you never know what if one of us has to step out sick, what if something were to happen? And in all honesty, what if we have children and so on and we just need to step out for a while and then come back? It's the most responsible thing that needs to be done. And it would just be crazy not to develop a company in the way so that at some point it could live without us. It could <laughs> and want to are different things, right? But right, right, um, right, right. In that respect, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Sophie talked about creating, scaling, and growing the business she started at age 18, how they've merged with a longtime strategic partner, and the collaborations they're working on for next year. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.